Welcome to Flywheel, your favorite poetry podcast. I'm here <laughs> to read my favorite poem of all time. I'm Nobody, Who Are You? by Emily Dickinson. I'm Nobody, Who Are You? Are you nobody too? Then there's a pair of us. Don't tell, they'd advertise, you'd know. How dreary to be somebody, how public like a frog. To tell one's name, the livelong June, to an admiring bog. Emily Dickinson, I'm nobody, who are you? In fact, I actually lived down the street from her house that <laughs> way back in the day when I went to UMass. Um, but, and you know what? It gets fucking cold up there and you have to really soldier through. And, you know, which perfectly segues into our next guest on Flywheel. We have on Winter Soldier, who was once nobody. And now he is one of the premier researchers and up and coming Twitter threaders, real threaders, not thread doors, but threaders. Um, so this is a really good one. We get this one is incredibly poetic. Uh, I have a lot of fun reading his latest thread, how Frax is a black hole. Um, it I really amped me up, really gave me a lot of energy. Just thinking about it is giving me energy again. And I've been filming for like an hour and a half, two hours just now. So like that just goes to show like how fucking excited I am for everyone to listen to this pod. Kit, what are your thoughts on this one? I, I was just, you know, talking to you guys how I've never been or rarely been reverse red pilled on Frax. So to hear it from like Winter Soldier, no less, just made me really appreciate like, damn, like, you know, we're actually a part of something that's, you know, has a chance to be really freaking Big. impactful and monumental. Yeah. Yeah. Like goes on the chain, beyond the chain, and then some. And we won't even delay it anymore. Here's Winter Soldier. But before we do that, if you want to catch all the latest reverse red pills, Frax Alpha, and DeFi insights, make sure you go hit that bell button right now. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. channel. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us a like. Follow us on our socials at Flywheel DeFi on Twitter, Telegram, and TikTok. <laughs> make sure you go subscribe to our website, flywheeldefi.com, where we have daily and updates insights about frax and DeFi. make sure you follow me on twitter at DeFi days 22 you can follow me at zero x capital underscore k and let's get the flywheel spinning do you hold eth but don't know what to do with it want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start well frax eth is there for you frax eth is frax's native lsd solution allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your eth if you want to get started Go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. Hello one, hello all. Welcome back to this episode of Flywheel DeFi. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, and I am here as always with Capital K. And on this episode, we're going to the trenches. We're going out into the field. And we have Winter Soldier who has made his way through his first bear market, his first cold bear market. So Winter Soldier uh, is a uh, research analyst at a VC fund, uh, Hailstone, I believe. And uh, he has been writing incredible threads for a while now. We actually met in Hong, Hong Kong at a, at a Frax meetup we had out there. 
Um, and, you know, I've been meaning to get him on since. And then he just wrote a banger of a thread about Frax a month ago. And I'm just like, now's the time. So, Winter Soldier, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you guys for having me, too. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to chat about all things Frax. Let's do this, guys. Yeah. Uh, and before we get into it, let's do a uh, short intro into yourself and how you got to DeFi. Understand that your first foray was in NFTs. And, you know, as what happens with NFTs, they, they go down. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and then you found yourself into DeFi and writing these banger threads. So, yeah. How'd you get into DeFi? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, I, as they mentioned, I got into crypto like mid 2021. Um, through NFTs, just because most of my friends were just telling me, oh, like, you buy these JPEGs, um, you can make some money doing it. And so I, that was what I, how I got started. Uh, and then I probably have, like, I probably got soft rugged or rugged maybe 20 to 30 times just on different collections. And then... Um, 20 to 30 of, times? Like, I, I basically bought at least, like, 20 to 30. Because at that point, I was just going to buy one my friends told me to buy um, I, well, was it like at like 10 you're like i don't know if i should be listening to these people <laughs> yeah. No, no, no yeah i know um because it was like a group of us and then at that time i was we were basically trying to we we're just grinding on discord to try to get into mints and so the cost wasn't right, right. particularly i mean it was still it wasn't like cheap but it wasn't like expensive expensive enough for me to go oh crap i should probably stop doing this and then mm-hmm. there were a few winners out of like the tens of dollars oh, that's that true good point yeah, yeah there's always, so that kind of gets you the game stay, yeah yeah yeah, and so um, and so I basically just got really, really pissed off, and I was like, "Well, I got to stop losing money." Uh, and then I think around that time, it was around like when Avalanche was quite was quite popular at the time, and I had a few friends who who I trade NFTs with who were like, "Hey, actually, we're kind of doing this thing called yield farming," and I was like, "Oh, that's pretty interesting. Let me see what let me see what that is." And so uh, I got into Avalanche. Um, I think around the time, like, Krabato was a, like, was a really big thing. That's right. So I was like, oh, we can, because you could buy NFTs, right? So that was kind of something I was familiar with. But then there was this added mm-hmm. element of, oh, actually, if you battle and you win and you put together, like, you know, two, two crabs that are good, you basically get to get a reward in exchange for doing that, right? Which is, and I was like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. And so <laughs> that was kind of what got me into looking into, um, Basically, the idea of being able to earn something from just playing a game was quite appealing. And then by extension, that also got me to look into things like, oh, like launch pads. Oh, can I get into projects before they launch to benefit off of that? Or, and also, oh, if I have stable coins on Avalanche or if I have like AVAX itself, like where can I deposit this to earn a yield? I think around that time, um, like around that time, uh, like Yield Yap was quite popular, Platypus Finance, and then like Trader Joe. And so mm-hmm. that, those are kind of like the three main ones that I used. Um, and then from there on, they also it was also around that time I basically quit my old job uh, and then found, and then basically found my way into my current company at, at Hailstone. But then when I first joined, I was more a sort of project manager because that was kind of my background, sort of, sort of um, setting up teams, setting up systems, uh, and then... Just by nature of that job, I had to kind of look into what other projects were doing. So that's when I started doing a lot more research. And then I just figured if I'm already doing research and kind of putting together decks and things from my own viewing pleasure, I can just share it and then see where this goes. And that's kind of how um, how Winter Soldier became a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was it on Avalanche where you first heard of Frax or was it somewhere else? 
Mm. I first heard of Frax. Actually, oh, wait, 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 going, going, going back. Are you called Winter Soldier because you were an avalanche during Avalanche Rush and it was like the winter? <laughs> yeah. um, no, I, I picked Winter Soldier because um, I started the account sort of like around, like around the time uh, like UST like collapse. And then oh. I was like, oh, like, and I was like, it's gonna be crypto winter, and I was like, oh, like you know, winter soldier. Oh, oh. I got it. Yeah. Okay. So Truly, the winter there. soldier. You're like, I <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you get yeah. Oh, yeah, because I, I I forget I was watching some podcast and some I forget who it was, but basically he said something along the lines of like, we just have the soldier on, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, you just have to just... keep going, and then so mm-hmm. I kind of how I uh, picked the name. Yeah. Mm. And then okay, back to my question before. Uh, where did you first hear Frax? And, you know, in your opinion, how, how is it different than other stable coins when you first saw it? I first heard of Frax actually uh, during Luna. Yes, during UST. Oh, uh, during your, oh, perfect. Yeah, during UST. Because uh, oh. I think at, at, that, at that time, obviously when like UST lost its peg and then everything started collapsing. Um, I remember I, I saw this, it was used some sort of like coin desk tweet or some sort of tweet that basically talked about, oh, by the way, like, um, Frax lost like a billion dollars on like market cap and it didn't depend. And I was like, that's just the cool. DeFi things, just the DeFi things. Yeah. Yeah. Things. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Um, because <laughs> right. like, most people were just kind of thinking to themselves, like, like I gotta get out of Frax, right. Cause like by extension, if I was able aren't stable, then you know, what's going to happen to my money like, on Frax? And so there was like probably some sort of bank run. And then I saw a tweet saying, oh, by the way, like we're okay. You know, business as usual. Sucks that this happened for other people, but then business business as usual for us. And so that was kind of what got me into looking at Frax. Um, and yeah, I think if I'm being honest, I think I had just because of UST, I had a lot of doubts um, mm. so like, regarding mm. the that's healthy, like, 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 like the algorithms. Well, yeah, how does it work? Um, but then I think because. Like it was intriguing enough for me to want to like look like a lot deeper into what what what, are they, what do they actually do? How does everything actually work? And and so I think um, the first step just kind of understanding like how like how the quote unquote like algo algo stable peg works, and then afterwards like V two. And I think V two is really what um, gave me this impression that oh they're doing something very very different, and they're like the infrastructure they're building is not, they're not just kind of going, hey, we'll let the market do whatever they want and then whatever happens, happens. They're actually very methodical in how they approach um, building infrastructure and also designing their protocols. And that's kind of when I started paying more attention to Frax. And then obviously after that, there was like Frax ETH. And then <clears throat> after that, there were more things started happening. And so I started kind of following it quite closely. And um, yeah, so now here we are, uh, probably like four to five like Frax threads later and I'm still quite, I'm so as optimistic and I guess bullish on Frax. Yeah. And this leads perfectly into your latest thread about Frax. I'm going to pull it up here. Um, oh, actually, where, before we do that, Dave, could I ask um, for yeah. for Winter, Are there were, were there other DeFi protocols that you were looking at the same time as you were looking into Frax? Um, Good question. Same time. I had to I had to look into Curve and Convex a lot too, just because oh, that makes sense. Yeah, 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 Curve, Convex, yeah. and Frax just like they kind of just appear a lot. Um, you can't have one without the other. Yeah, yeah, and I think around that time I was looking into sort of like the Curve wars and then how bribing worked, and 
Frax was just always up there on like Lama Air Force with like UST. And so it was just this really big sort of, um, I wouldn't say like it's, an, it's like an echo chamber, but just all these things were correlated. And so I just had mm-hmm. to basically make sure, made sure I knew what, like how, how each protocol fit into each sort of how the pieces fell together and then how everything worked. So, yeah. We're zooming in for the people at home. Yeah. Uh, okay. There we go. All right. I, I gotta say, this was very poetic. I love your I artistry. I've, I've was taken on a journey and I am pleased to take our listeners at Flywood DeFi on a journey with Winter Soldier with his thread, Frax Finance, nothing escapes singularity. We're going to break it down on this special episode. So as a child, I was a huge fan of space and sci-fi. Black holes in particular were the subjects of my fascination. Galactic forces of nature feasting on every star and planet they touch. Nothing escapes, not even light. I soon learned black holes were much more than what I initially thought. They are surprisingly the brightest objects in space. As matter spirals into the singularity, friction is so strong it creates electromagnetic radiation up to 4 trillion times brighter than our sun. Jets of matter are expelled at light speed in the unsuing chaos, reaching up to thousands of light years away to become raw materials for new galaxies. Pretty cool stuff. Frax finance evokes the same sense of awe. The familiar feeling of this is so cool that compelled me to research as much as I could. This protocol is a force of nature. An unstoppable singularity expanding its event horizon with innovative products and astute microeconomics. And much like black holes, Frax's true purpose and potential are often overshadowed by first impressions. Yielding 5% on ETH LSDs, inventing AMOs, and integrating RWAs are cool and bullish feats. But you miss the bigger picture if you just focus on those. Frax is the only DeFi entity that can programmatically create monetary premium for its stablecoins. Once you understand that, once you understand how they do that, do it, I'm 100% convinced you'll be as bullish as I am. I'm going to stop there uh, with that last tweet of Frax is the only DeFi entity that can programmatically create monetary premium for its stablecoins. What do you mean by that? Can we just dive in deeper there? Yeah, sure. Um, I think just at a very high level, because I, I do think the tweet kind of goes into how that functions, but at a very mm-hmm. high level, um, most stablecoin protocols, when they launch, uh, when they when they sort of move into DeFi or when they launch, or if they're DeFi native, they have a really hard time gaining traction because um, most... and. As, as my good friend DeFi Cheetah has mentioned in multiple threads, um, cost of liquidity is quite high in general. Like cost most, of capital. Cost of capital, yeah. Most stable coins are either renting liquidity from from their users by get, by paying them with emissions um, or doing the same like with bribes. And it's quite difficult for any new stable coin or any stable coin without a, a sort of a novel mechanism to gain any traction. Um, and I think Frax, through, uh, Frax has a few things going for them. I think the, the biggest sort of advantage that they have is, I think, just 
by nature of being really early and just being being in the market for a while, they've built themselves a very, very, um, they've solidified a few very, very good advantages for themselves, um, both in terms of, you know, having a lot of, a lot of control over, over, I wouldn't say over the market itself specifically, but just having a lot of leverage to pull in order to, um, in, quote unquote, incubate whatever stablecoin they choose to launch next. And I think that kind of that, and they can do it in a way that's quite precise and quite, I, I wouldn't use the word deterministic just because it does seem like if they do all these things, the outcome is they gain, they say we gains traction and people start putting, people start providing liquidity. Um, I think uh, Frax ETH is a really, really good example of it. Just convex curve pools, dual token model, and then, uh, and you basically just see it start going up. And so, um, yeah, so I think like at a high level, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah, first to market, first to jump on certain products and trends, uh, skating to where the punk puck is going, not to where the puck is. Uh, and now we jump into the table of contents and we get one, the singularity, stablecoin maximalism. At the center of every black hole is the singularity, a core belief, if you will. For Frax, that belief is stablecoin maximalism, which states the following. All DeFi primitives converge on being stablecoins and every stablecoin converges on the same universal structure. The structure as defined by Sam comprises of risk-free yield, which is the revenue generated by the assets backing the stablecoin, at peg using the lowest risk available, and the swap facility where it can be redeemed like a liquidity pool. Um, and you know, when now when I think of stablecoin maximalism, I immediately think of like Plato's realms of form, like in the realm of forms, there is the ideal stablecoin that's where it exists, and the shadow that is casted on chain is stablecoin maximalism. Um, yeah, can we go in your own words? Like, how would you explain uh, stablecoin maximalism? And you had further things you wanted to add here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think stablecoin maximalism is, I think, like, as a as a belief, it's just that most DeFi assets in the future will basically have some sort of follow some sort of structure where it functionally like resembles a stable coin. Uh, mm -hmm. and, I, and I give a few examples about how that, what that would look like. Right? Do you I believe think. in it? Do you believe in stable coin maximalism? Um, hmm. I see it happening. I wouldn't say I'm like a hundred percent convinced, but I do see um, protocols or a lot of protocols in one way or another adopting quote unquote stable coins, which is basically, I think, I think a better way to understand Stablecoins is like basically pegged assets. Because I think when you when you think stablecoin, you think, oh, USD pegged stablecoin, right? But in actuality, I think that is a broader sort of generalized term for pegged assets and which can include um, which can include uh, stuff like, you know, um, like uh, like SUSD, for example, or or like or like, or like GLP from GMX. I think those things also fall fall into the same bracket. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it, got it. Um, and then we, you know, going, going through, and we have stability, composability, uh, oh, um, for, for the sake of visuals, I'm just going to keep it as is, uh, we can observe the convergence of various protocols. I'll you just explain that. Um, oh, here we go. The monetary premium part, which was a core part of your, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. statement earlier as such, Frax has a monetary premium down to an art 
and with FinRes, it is now has all components for a liquidity engine, a deterministic machine that sustains all four pillars of the structure defined in stablecoin maximalism to drive adoption for frack stablecoins. And you get into the liquidity machine, machine more in your thread. So what is the liquidity machine that you know Frax has hold of? Yeah, sure. I think it's, there's four main things. So FinRes is like the last piece. It's kind of like Thanos and the Infinity Stones. Like there's FinRes. Yes. There's, yes. Yeah, there's, that's, kind of a, that's kind of like a good way to conceptualize it. So there's FinRes. There, uh, there's kind of um, like convex like stash curve gauge weight. And then there's also uh, protocol on liquidity. Mm-hmm. And um, just with the, and then there's AMOs. But the AMOs are... I would I consider them more as sort of like facilitative, but then they're still quite an important part of how Frax <clears throat> manages its operations on chain. Um, so these are the four sort of core like mm. pillars, if you will, that Frax uses. And it seems like, or at least to me, um, the way the, the like the way that Frax is able to basically create demand for their stable coins is they basically follow this formula, if you will, where they basically set these things up. And I think initially it was just gauge weight, POL, and like AMOs. Um, but then now with FinRes, I think I think FinRes is more specifically for the Frax stablecoin itself, just because I think it has most implications there. But I do think that um, as a whole, uh, whether it's like FPI, whether it's like Frax ETH and the Frax stablecoin itself, they in general follow the structure of um, you know, using, using gauge weight to sort of jumpstart everything uh, acquiring PLL in the process and then using AMOS to manage the process. And so, yeah. which is why I can use the word engine. Yeah. And then we go into number two, the Spark, the CVX gauge weight. Frax, they've been accumulating CVX since July of 2021, less than two months after Convex launched. A treasury deployment to farm CVX progressed into a partnership with CVX FXS before eventually snowballing into one of Frax's biggest competitive advantages um was it i thought it was earlier than july of 2021 but i could be mistaken was it july 2021 yeah so i i got this date off of the announcement from frax so i think behind the scenes uh, uh, I'm, I'm i'm assuming that sam probably spoke to like c2tp about you know, hey this mm-hmm. seems pretty interested where we'd like to like somehow be involved in, in this um, and so what are your thoughts on like you know, Frax was the second protocol to be, you know, accepted on the Convex platform. What are your thoughts on like the pros and like the potential, like said, like drop, like, you know, kind of trade-offs of it. Cause like, it was like a liquidity engine, but in a sense, but also like for like governance maxis, maxis they're like giving up governance, governance power for economic prop, power, which, you know, the people wanted. But what are your thoughts about like the positives and in, in trade-offs with it? Mm, I think, at that point in time, like when this, when, when Frax did reach out to Convex, I think at that point in time, um, governance was less important than just making sure that the protocol can, has like a prosperous future. I think you kind of have to, as, 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 a, as the dev team and the project team, you have to kind of weigh yeah. what, what's, what's more important at this point in time and what yield us the best results. Like governance doesn't really matter if your stable coin only has like, 10 million TVL, like, like, like the, um, yeah. like, like the magnitude of what you can do. And, and, and I would even argue that the, the amount of people who are willing to actually participate in governance, like suddenly drastically drops off. Like if you look yeah. at like maker, right. Maker, it's just really big because 
by the way, like they have most of the TBL on ETH. And um, because of that, people are naturally drawn to drawn to that kind of, I would use the word influence, but just that kind of success. And then, mm-hmm. and as a result of that, you have people who quite, who care about Maker itself and they're willing to actually be active participants in the ecosystem, run the sub DAOs. Um, and so I think, I, at least I personally think that um, uh, back in 2021, like Frax made this conscious decision that we actually need to make sure that our stable coin um, is as resilient mm-hmm. as possible and it can actually like, last for a very, very long time. And I do think that partnering with Convex just was mm-hmm. like a no brainer. I'm actually quite surprised, or at least I, I'd like to think that like the Frax team was able to conceptualize like, oh, there's going to be some sort of war over curve tokens in the future. And that's why mm-hmm. they did it. But it does seem like they had some sort of inkling of what that would look like. And so that's why they kind of partnered with Convex like probably two, but in two months or even before they, they mm-hmm. actually uh, like, you know, fully launched. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Also, you know, with the amount of CVX that Frax, the treasury holds, um, it's kind of like, oh, you have some of ours and you have, some, and we have some of yours. And so, you know, there's checks and balances there. Um, next up, we got uh, DeFi liquidity is expensive. As we mentioned before, protocols compete for liquidity either by incentivizing LPs with inflationary emissions and bribes or buying and voting and locking CRV. As Kit says, uh, with CRV, the tokenomics are the products. Uh, bro- <laughs> both options incur heavy losses for the protocol who competes against each other in a race to the b- bottom. With CVX, the cost of liquidity for Frax is practically zero. Using uh, VLCVX's influence on curve gauges, Frax can bootstrap deep liquidity for any pool, using mostly CRV emissions to subsidize the liquidity costs, allowing the protocol to retain most of the value it generates. Wait, does it still use CRV emissions? Well, it doesn't turn the CRV into CVX CRV? Um, like, and... Wasn't like some something was done like there was a different agreement. There was something that happened like several months ago where Frax got a white list of CRV, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think in here what I meant was just um, in terms of creating like a swap facility mm-hmm. uh, with with, with, this, okay. with some sort of yield opportunity. Um, they they can basically vote the pool into existence as opposed to having to like I'm going to throw like a bunch of Frax FXS at it every single week to make sure yeah. people. Oh, I see what you're saying. That you're directing yeah, the yeah. CRV emissions, not like what they do. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Thank yeah, you so for correcting me. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the tokenomics are the product, guys. Remember that. Uh, emissions and bribes attract LPs, increasing demand by way of minting, swapping, and borrowing, all of which occur, freeze, and TBL for fracks. All of these economic forces come together to create the first half of the liquidity flywheel Take a shot <laughs> for its stable coins. Uh, and now we go on to number three, the catalyst. POL, protocol and liquidity, when the price of FXS exploded in 2021, Frax collateral requirements were lowered, which enabled Frax to deploy its surplus collateral to acquire POL. POL provides control over the supply and cost of borrowing of Frax stables. Instead of relying on arbitrage or hard protocol shutdowns, AMOs plus POL stabilize PEG with unrivaled precision and intent. Want proof? Frax absorbed more than a billion dollars of sell pressure during the USD meltdown. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, Winter Soldier, what's your definition of AMOs and how, if, how would you explain AMOs to someone 
that you know explain to me like i'm five like someone who's like brand sure, new sure yeah um so the ela5 of amos is i think you can think of it as basically a set of i would say like very very smart and intelligent computer programs that that make that make sure mm-hmm. the value of something is as close to one as possible and it has the ability to buy and sell buy and sell specific currencies to make sure that the currency value remains as close to one as possible. I think that's like in a nutshell what they do conceptually. There's obviously different AMOs within Fract itself, but I think mm-hmm. the, the 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 sort of the, the core of it is we, it's basically there to make sure that you know the packet is close to one as possible. Yeah. These these little robots are at work making sure Frax is pegged or Frax ETH is pegged or any of like Frax stable coins remain pegged and any like excess profit goes to like protocol and VEFXS holders. Um, most, okay, continue on with the fled th- thread. Uh, most importantly, by deploying POL, Frax is eligible for swap fees and emissions from its pools to recollateralize Frax, buy back FXS to fully offset costs of liquidity. Nice. Recycle into VLCVX and VECRV gauges and restart the cycle. Restart the flywheel with more gauge weight in POL. And that's not all. Wait, there's more. More. <laughs> Wait, there's more. Shout out. Sorry, Billy Mays. I didn't mean to fuck that up. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Tokens paired with Frax base pool, Frax BP, inherit this flywheel, Frax BP a composable LP tokens of the Frax USDC curve pool that can be paired with other assets. At its peak, Frax BP POL supported nearly $856 million of liquidity across 36 pairs on curve. Um, I mean, yeah, so let's, I'm going to stop there. Um, can you explain like Frax BP and its significance and why it matters to the viewers at home? Sure, yeah. So um, Frax BP is, I think... You can think of it as a sort of very composable. What's a good analogy for this? It's like if it's like um, I would think of it as like 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 if you want to make like a rice dish, like you you have to have rice. Like it's like something something with rice, something something with rice, and then like fact PP is kind of like rice in that in that situation. So if you if you are a protocol that once have liquidity on curve, you can either try to, you can either try to bribe it into existence, which is quite expensive. You can try to um, buy CRB and vote lock it, and they can vote it pull into existence, which is quite difficult. Or you can basically reach out to Frax and say, "Hey, we'd like to use Frax BP as 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 a pairing asset for for a coin." And what that does is you basically, in the process of doing that, you inherit a lot of the advantages um, that Frax itself has over its own liquidity pools. And so it's almost like, a, I, I, would, I would think of it as like an incubation program almost, where it's just, hey, I have this stable coin, I want to have liquidity, I need liquidity, what can I do? You reach out to Frax, um, you basically get a pretty sweet deal, in my opinion, right? You have an AMO managed pool, you have basically um, really, really efficient bribes that we'll, that we'll get into in a second as well. And so I think it's just a very, very good, um, it's just a very, very good, sort of like strategic move that most protocols have access to, especially if they're trying to build liquidity on the curve itself. And Frax is just constantly there, uh, you know, with open arms, welcoming protocols to partner with them. The positive sum mentality of Frax, everybody wins. We all rise together, you know, 
we've loved to see it. We've been love seeing it since Frax BP launched, and even before that, even before Frax BP launched, we uh, Frax was preaching a positive sum mentality. Uh, continuing moving on with the the thread. Yeah, partner protocols are entitled to pool revenue proportional to their demand they generate for Frax BP. As demand rises, AMOs mint new Frax into pools, earning fees and emissions that are recycled by Frax into the flywheel. Another shot. <laughs> protocol gauges, get protocol gauge bribes are recycled the same way. The effectiveness of Frax BP of the Frax BP flywheel is best expressed in a blog post by Zero X Crypto Harry from Inverse Finance. The beneficiary of the dollar Frax BP pool that peaked at sixty-one million dollars. Um, so, what exactly happened here? I think it's, it's, he basically describes like um, sort of the effectiveness of bribing of bribing after partnering with Frax, um, and which basically states that um, the, in a nutshell, basically for every dollar of bribes they put in, they get something like. They get something like two to three dollars worth of incentives out of it, and this mm-hmm. happens because um, once they bribe the pool, Frax has a sp- certain portion of the pool, right? And so, what Frax actually does is that they recycle the bribes that that they receive back into the back into the pool and the gauges itself, and from that you gain a smaller, and from that Frax receives a smaller portion. They basically repeat this loop until it kind of goes to like not like zero, but then to like a really really small number, and so. Um, <clears throat> from a protocol's perspective, instead of having to, you're basically paying like a dollar for like three dollars worth of incentives, which is just very, very efficient. Um, mm-hmm. And and to your point about being positive sum, I think without this, most protocols would just be basically slowly bleeding themselves to death, right? With just emissions and bribes. But then with this, it seems like there is a more effective way and efficient way for them to um, acquire liquidity and actually gain some traction. And so, um, yeah, it's just a very, very good. Like it's yeah, a very, very sweet deal for both stable coins, yeah. And yeah. one more thing to note also is as the Frax BP portion increases, like as in the TVL of the pool increases, Frax would bribe more into that mm-hmm. pool pro rata. So it actually increases as it gets more and more liquidity, gets more and more incentives, and, you know, again, flywheel. Yeah. Frax BP aligns incentives perfectly between the partner and Frax. Demand for the stable equals demand in Frax. In exchange, the partner gains an AMO managed swap facility, a stable peg, and a capital efficient flywheel for sustainable liquidity. It's the whole liquidity engine, folks. Winter Soldier, I have one more question for you before we go on to the missing link. What would DeFi look like if Frax was just didn't exist and was removed from the picture? If there was no Frax BP, if there was no flywheel, like how would 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 what how would DeFi look different without Frax? That's a very, <laughs> very interesting question. Let me think. Would DeFi look like without? Because there's no flywheel. Like, would would I didn't even know? I don't know if like sta- stables that are starting off would be able to sustain themselves. I feel like, you know, Tether and USDC and Maker would probably take way more of the pool. Yeah, I think um, without Frax. I, I would imagine that most, and, and, and I'm just speaking in the context of like of like a stable swap like curve, right? I would imagine that mm-hmm. the stable swap itself somehow has to subsidize liquidity for the for the larger pairs, 
like USCC, USCC, um, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe die itself because because Tether, Circle, and Maker they don't do bribes at all. They just exist and they just they exist. They, 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 the they ultimate, just exist. The okay. ultimate monetary premium just existing, folks. They, 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 they just exist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I I would go out on a limb and say that it is entirely possible that stable coins that want to have liquidity on a specific stable swap have to kind of help that stable swap sort of incentivize liquidity for USDT, USDC, and like, and, and die in some strange way. Like in, in addition to paying for your own liquidity pool, you have to make sure that whatever you have to make sure that there's like a counterparty asset. That's, you know, that, that, that's like that, 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 that there's a lot of that counterparty asset and that, um, and, and that the stable swap itself actually doesn't, you know, basically cease to exist in like two to three months because of, you know, mm. because of not having liquidity. And so I would imagine yeah. that there probably be some sort of like, it's like a race to the bottom, just basically protocols, yeah. fundraising, and then shelving out cash uh, through the tokens and just going, hey, like we need, we need to survive, we need to survive, we need to survive. And it's not a very pleasant experience and it's not very conducive to growth either. Yeah, I mean, look at other stable swaps, you know, like remember Swerve Kit? <laughs> swerve, yes. swerve, swerve, swerve. Did they turn into saddle? Or no? No, 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 they didn't turn into saddle. Uh, but swerve was like a fork of curve, and they're like, we're swerve. Um, and uh, they didn't last too long. Um, they just like, you know, gave out a fuck ton of incentives. And, but like, you know, you need to have like, uh, I feel like you just need to have a first follower uh, that's going to play the game. And Frax was that first follower for curve. Um, and Convex was the meta governance layer for Curve and eventually Frax and created this like triumphant of sorts, this DeFi triumph, on-chain yeah. triumphant of, of sorts that like kept, that kept the slidewalk going even through the bear market. And yeah, Saddle, Saddle Finance was also a stable swap that uh, closed down recently as well. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I, mean, and the, yeah, I guess to kind of add another point, um, I think Frax makes it easier for different stablecoin protocols to actually have like a fighting chance or like survive against mm-hmm. uh, as late joiners because because um, like curves tokenomics are quite punitive for latecomers especially if you're a stablecoin that launch, that's launching now like you you're mm-hmm. very very far behind compared to stablecoins that happened on curve for a very long time and it creates a system where new entrants have to like you 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 you're either explain why explain why by, sorry explain why please yeah yeah so um i think the the easiest way to understand it is if you are a stable coin that has been on curve for a very long time the chances of you having a lot of curve on hand is quite high just by the nature of being there and by nature of like receiving emissions um and so because of that you have a lot of sway over sort of curves um Curves, curve emissions uh, every month, right? And when you allocate emissions, most protocols tend to allocate emissions to themselves. And so uh, this it's, it creates this very sort of like dog eat dog sort of system where if you're early and you're kind of the big bad, you get most of the market share. Um, and so it's very difficult for newer stable coins who are most likely under-resourced, uh, who most likely don't, who aren't as connected, well connected as like, sort of these bigger, more established incumbents, it's really hard for them to gain any sort of foothold in the process. And so I think Frax BP makes it a lot easier. Like as, instead of having to kind of 
figure it out for yourself. You approach Frax and you're kind of, um, you join this sort of really strong ecosystem of, uh, with really, really, with really sort of potent, I would say like, like flywheels, basically you, like instead of having to figure everything out for yourself, you basically, it's almost like you go through this, like, like incubation program, like, Hey, by the way, just do these things. We'll help you sort everything out. And, um, Frax has also been able to structure, um, Frax PP in a way that makes it very, very positive. Some for everyone who's involved, like Frax itself gets a lot of, gets incentives out of it. And so does a stable coin. And I think without Frax that I like to think that some other protocol would come up with this, but it's quite hard, difficult to imagine. There's a lot yeah. of pieces that have to be in place and you really have to play it exactly the way Frax did. In order for it to yeah. Happen. Everything had to align. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, I had a, a question. I had this on for after the thread, but I'm just going to ask ask it now. Uh, what do you think of the VE model that Curve, you know, pioneered uh, and now is like used throughout DeFi, whether it's Frax, whether it's Aura Finance, um, others as well? Uh, do you feel the same? We know how DeFi cheater feels. He loves it. Do you feel the same way? And um, how do you think other uh, like other dexes like? like Aura and whatnot, well, Aura is like on top of Balancer, but like, you know, other VE models on other protocols like stack up against Curve's model. Um, hmm. I think for what Curve is trying to do, like just as sort of a liquidity hub, I think the VE model just makes a lot of sense. Um, I've seen a lot of other protocols just kind of adopt VE just because they want some sort of way to like, like re reduce sell pressure on their token. Um, but I don't think, like, I, I'm sure that was part of the reason why Curve adopted this model, but I wouldn't say that that's, that's kind of um, a really big reason why they did it, I would say. Um, because in order for the VE model to work, you have to have people or protocols that really want to have to have and hold your token basically like i think a really really important aspect of a ve model is that the is that protocols that, that is that your token is highly sought after because it's like a very scarce resource and ve sort of increases the scarcity of that resource and also at the same time makes it so that the protocols who are after this resource really need it and like it's quite crucial to their survival. So you kind of create this like, it's like um, it's like if you have like firewood in like Alaska, like you're, you're if you sell like firewood in Alaska, and then through some and, and in some strange way, you're able to make it so that um, I wouldn't say you have like the control the control over the supply of firewood per se, but then you make it so that um, like whoever gets it can only get it from you because you're like the quote unquote the only provider of it. Um, I know this here's sounds a little bit here's a firewood plug in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. And so I think um, the V model works because people who need it, the protocols that need it, need it quite well and they're willing to pay for it. And there is actual competition for that resource instead of like a random protocol just plugging VE in hopes of like kind of stopping cell pressure. Like that doesn't work because you're, there's no demand for your token as of like, in, 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 any, in any way, shape, or form, and so it just doesn't really work. Yeah, um, there's a, yeah, there's a reason yeah. for your token existing. The tokenomics is the product. 
Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. Let me ask you a quick question, too, Winter. Do you think another t project to come out with similar tokenomics as Curve of like 300 years emission and, you know, VE model, do you think that tokenomics will still fly today? Um, will it wheel? Will it wheel? Will it wheel? <laughs> um, I don't think so. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I don't. I agree. Yeah, I, agree. Yeah, I think this like only could have happened like at the moment in time that Curve launched it, and for their specific product, and like the way that it was executed was just so brilliant that it, you know it made it like almost like over like three years, like a pretty much a cycle, and now like we're on the cusp of like something new, excitement again, ETH above two K, ETF uh, buzz, all this fun stuff is coming, and like Curve is about to come out. With not just dollar stablecoins, but ETHPEG stablecoins and LSDs and real yield on chain, you know, it's really an exciting time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, before getting to LSDs, we got to go to the missing link. Number four, FinRes PBC. FinRes PBC is the final piece of Frax's liquidity engine. The key to a trillion dollar stablecoin in Frax's stablecoin maximalist-centric view, it is impossible for any on-chain stable to scale up to four comma market cap without ties to fiat. FinRes's functions as the RWA conduit for the Frax ecosystem, providing access to T-bills, reverse repos, and USD deposits, earning the overnight rate, completing the risk-free yield pillar for Frax with yield from the Fed. Uh, I'm going to stop there. Um, yeah. Um, in your own words, like, how would you describe uh, Frax's RWA setup? I think it's very smart. <laughs> you basically kind of avoid all of the legal, potential legal implications um, by, by setting up and by setting up sort of a public benefits corporation. I think um, I can't like wholeheart. I'm not too familiar with like the, like the US legal system. I can't. I can't wholeheartedly say that, oh, they're completely out of trouble, but it does seem that it's a very, very active and conscious step to just avoid as much um, le like legal issues as possible uh, and also do it in a way that's as cost-effective cost as possible just because of how PBCs are structured. Mm -hmm. The public benefit corporation for the, pu for the public benefit, folks. Um, go, moving on with the, with the thread. With Fenres, Frax has constructed an on-chain yield curve that uses the IORB rate to determine optimal allocation of assets to generate yield. My good friend DeFi Cheetah, shout out DeFi Cheetah, anticipates an influx of on-chain and institutional capital for Frax as a result. Um, you know, DeFi Cheetah is such a big Frax bowl. I, I love it. Shout out DeFi Cheetah. He's this big curve ecosystem bowl, like fan of the show, friend of the show. Um, yeah, can you just... Um, define to the viewers and listeners at home what the IORB rate is and you know what Frax is doing with it? Sure. Uh, let me kind of... Uh, let me kind of think of like a... Should I try the ELI-5? Okay, yeah. So um, the IORB stands for like the... I believe it stands for the interest rate on like reserve balances. Mm -hmm. um, and it basically... It's the overnight rate, yep. Yeah, overnight rate. Yeah, and I think I think you can think of it as like, um, like you can think of like think of it as like the interest that the Fed pays um, depositors who provide liquidity to the Fed. I think that's like, I think 
in my mind, the best way to explain it. Um, and, what the, and what that basically means is that um, the interest rate that the Fed pays for deposits is also synonymous with kind of like the so like the what's like the what the risk free yield should be in a way because it's like something you can get that's quite you can get like so it's something that's quite immediate and it's something that's kind of universal across um, across the board as well and um, basically what Frax does here with the IRB rate is it uses that as like a benchmark to determine to determine. Um, the optimal allocation of its assets across sort of repos, across like treasuries, across sort of um, uh, overnight uh, sort of um, um, USD deposits, uh, earning that rate, and they use that kind of as a benchmark to determine how to how to allocate those assets, um, so that Frax users basically are able to enjoy sort of like the highest possible yields on chain in a way. Yeah, so that's kind of like the the in my mind like the easiest way to explain it. Got it. Um, now we have, uh, once Frax is fully collateralized by RWAs, I also wouldn't be surprised to see Frax phase out Frax USDC BP for a pure Frax BP and scale it with the same liquidity flywheel. POL would instead be strictly used to facilitate the Frax RWA on off ramping. And you see this um, developing, not with a like FRX USD yet, um, although that has been talked about, but you know, with alternatives to Frax USDC, you have Frax USDP, you have you know Frax PYUSD in the works. You have like other things like happening. Um, so you know, what are your thoughts uh, on that? On like alternatives to Frax USDC BP? Yeah, um, I think the. I do think that sort of tying it to like PayPal USD and Paxos is just another is, is another sort of way to gain access to RWAs because um, with PayPal USD and with Paxos, you're able to redeem those for for actual United States dollars, which can then be used to basically help Frax either acquire or or like to, to basically acquire more RWAs, right? Um, and so <clears throat> and so, I'm not sure if Frax will use those assets like will basically will give like usdp and like pyusd the same treatment as usd as like the frax as the current frax pp um but i wouldn't be surprised if they do because it just gives a lot more confidence it, it's kind of like the same sort of model that they've been using in the past just i guess more diversified across different stable coins um and I remember reading somewhere in the Frax Telegram chat that there is some sort of there is some sort of deal that that's talked about between Frax and PayPal, like in exchange for giving us liquidity on chain. There's some sort of incentive structure and sort of incentive program there, and so I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that Frax actually looks into, just because it's a, it's, a, it's another way for them to gain more traction and to like I guess um, like like increase their like increase their 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 like POL so to speak as well. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. And now moving on to everything uh, everywhere. Actually, oh, okay, go ahead. Actually, well, I mean, this is exactly what I want to talk about. It's like when uh, everything everywhere all at once, and when it's at one hundred percent clarification, Frax will join the ranks of USDT and USDC as the reserve stable mm -hmm. coins backed by RWAs. This one really got me going. Like, whoa! Like I never. 
even though I'm such a fraximalist and, and, and a bull, I never once considered like frax on equal terms with, you know, a circle or a tether or kind of anything like that. So, so kind of when I read it here, I was like, yeah, no shit. Obviously they're going to be backed by the same thing. So why not? You know, and on top of that, Frax has all of the DeFi like legs and, and arms that Circle and Tether does not. You know, so it, it was super exciting, and I love the graphic there, of course. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Do the next few tweets. Sure, and then so Frax will also become a hedge against volatility. AMOs and POL not only maintain stability autonomously and transparently in real time, but also accrue value for the ecosystem and its partners with flywheel economics take a shot we will hold fracks in our wallet like usdc and usdt boom like like dude this made me just get so i was like i thought i was bullish i was like now yeah. that is like speaking way more dude i'm um, literally fraxbo and i could not have been more bullish i was just like let's fucking go <laughs> yeah I, I never once considered us even the like, I thought we would always be that special stable coin reserved for, you know, DeFi related things. Uh, but obviously here, the way you laid it out, I was like, obviously, once we have RWAs, I mean, we do have RWAs. And when everything is kind of changed over into having those backings, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> right? it will like, be, we, we will be thought of as safe, as, you know, and redeemable as, and like, as in the same league as USDC and USDT. But I'll also add we'll be more in our own lane, carving our own lane because of how the rewards of the whole ecosystem and the whole flywheel are distributed instead of just some private corporation and somewhere out in the world, it's distributed to VEFXS holders in this future. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to kind of like make a point that I think it's infinitely harder for a sort of fiat-backed fiat stablecoin to break into DeFi than it is for the, the other way around. Mm -hmm. I'll um, go into that. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I, I don't think breaking, quote unquote, breaking into DeFi is like in the purview of like Circle or Tether just because they're really, really established. Um, and, and and I do think they, they gained sort of their popularity and status just because at that point in time, there was nothing else to kind of help users hedge against volatility on chain. And so everyone just kind of resorts to using USDT and USDC. And mm -hmm. a really big reason you do that is because you know deep down that, well, at least for Circle, you know deep down that, oh, if I if I can redeem this for like actual US dollars, right? And that does give the like the retail investor a lot, a lot, a lot of confidence. And there's a reason why people prefer holding USDC and USD to others, USD to other stable coins. Uh, but I do think that it would be a lot harder for them to, if they were to start now to try to break into DeFi. Um, they have a lot going for them just because of their sort of their brand. But I do think it's infinitely lot more difficult for them. They would have to invest a lot of resources and a lot of time into actually building all this infrastructure out as opposed to Frax that's kind of done it the other way around where we start DeFi and we gradually build or build ourselves a bridge to fiat. And I think that is like a or at least now looking back seems like a better strategy than just kind of doing it the other way around. Yeah. yeah I've I've noticed kind of like in your worldview this bridge to fiat is like a very key part of it. And in your previous interview with the crypto moose shout out crypto moose that was a very helpful for doing research for this pod you had a very interesting this is like a real hot take right here and i, I want to get into it um you think that cbdc's will be the trojan horse for acceptance um 
Why do you think that is? Okay, yeah, I think um, the example I gave is that I think there's, there's a few things. I would say the first thing is most people who use fintech don't really care slash pay attention to how it actually works on the back end. And I think you see some like credit cards with like Apple Pay, like it, it just works. People just slap it on and it works. And slap and go. Yeah, slap and go, right? Like a tap and go, like slap and go. Um, and the reason that that is a thing is because without being able to articulate sort of the, the, like the trust assumptions and all that stuff, they just know that, oh, someone's like watching over me when I use this. It works. Yeah, it works. And if something goes wrong, there, there are proper pathways I can take in order to kind of get what I'm owed, so to speak. Um, and I think that right now, one of the biggest sort of issues with crypto is that it just seems like there's no accountability and it does require the user to pay a lot of attention and put a lot of time and effort into protecting themselves and making sure that they don't get scammed. They, they can actually, you know, get the get money back when, when something bad happens. And that's just not very conducive to adoption. Um, like the analogy I would use is like, if my 60 year old auntie is like willing to like use and transact with crypto, then we're actually there. And I do think that like the Trojan horse of that is like, if she kind of realizes, oh, actually our national currency is like on a blockchain and it's actually something that the government is like watching over, that kind of gets, that makes them more receptive to the idea because most people don't really, and like, I, th I guess the third problem is that most people don't really read past the headlines. And so recently um, in Hong Kong, there was another exchange where Kong had her own like sort of mini FTX incident where basically- uh, oh, I remember this, yeah. Yeah, JPEX basically ran off with like $1.2 billion worth of like customer fund, uh, USD. And I probably got like three, at least three phone calls from relatives asking me, is everything okay? Like, are you okay? Like, are you going to get arrested? Do you work in JPEX? <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> uh, yeah. and unfortunately, uh, because of it, right? The impression that crypto gives off is, oh, it's a, it's scammy, right? And, and it's mm -hmm. quite dogmatic um, in a way. But um, most people don't stop and think, stop to think that, oh, actually, this the same kind of scam could have happened with gold, with you know, with with a multi level marketing. Uh, marketing pyramid scheme, mm. or I don't know, like like uh, or I know like um, Nigerian princess sending you emails, like asking you to pay the money, right? Like the same type of scam could have happened with different assets. It's just this time it's crypto, and because there's no regulation, um, basically a bunch of people got burned really hard. Um, and yeah, that and so it's almost like you have to make it so easily acceptable for the retail user that they can just use it without having to care about any of the repercussions of it. I think that's where you actually get to like sort of mass adoption. And the, and the analogy I would, I would use against it, it's a credit card. Nobody knows how it works. Not as, I, I, I can maybe count on my hand, like two people who actually told me, oh, when I swipe my card, this is what happens through the POS system. It goes to Visa, Visa does this thing. And then, you know, money's credit deducted from my bank. Mm -hmm. Like not, no, no, no one knows how that works. They just know, oh, if I get a card from a bank and I swipe it, it works. I said, I have to pay for it every month. And that's kind of the extent that I think most people would want to operate on, especially when it comes to like stuff like crypto. So, um, yeah, so that's, so that's kind of why I hold this view of like, oh, like mm -hmm. I think CBDCs just give people that impression of, oh, it's safe. We're good. Just use it. 
And then that, that um, by extension may get them to start looking into like DeFi itself because, oh, by the way, this is something that the government uses. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So yeah. I, I think to, to add into that, there was this, um, I forgot what was the document, but I remember they specifically mentioned Curve. This was like one of the central banks releasing a paper and they- uh, Was this like Curve international Fund. settlements? Yes, yes. Yeah, I was yes. reading that too. Like the merit, something, it starts with an M, I, I believe. How stable then, are your stable coins? Or like how, it, <laughs> something like that. Exactly, and then like the fact that Curve Finance got like a shout out in this like Fed doc, uh, Fed paper, um, or um, a reserve paper, I was like, holy shit. Even if the end user doesn't end up going into Curve, but the fact that central banks or like institutions of these nations are using Curve, like that alone is enough. I believe right? like one of them had like a model, like the curve model, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so regardless, my point being is that we don't even need a retail to use it as long as like the institutions use curve to settle out like their uh, um, accountings, right? Because right now with the way banks do it, it's like, hey, you know, I send you 90, you send me 100, technically let's net out at 10, so I will send you the 10 net. But that takes a while for them to net out the books, but with on curve is instant settlement and technically pennies on what they would normally pay for uh, transaction fees, like off chain. So instant settlements, cheaper fees and 24 seven. Yeah, Just institutions exactly. can use this. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and then to kind of add on to that too, like most, I think being in crypto, you're kind of told or conditioned into questioning everything just because it's in your best interest to you know, not get wrecked, right? Like, and I, and I speak yeah. from like, I speak from like having ample experience from like being robbed from NFTs. You just have to know, know what you're doing and like read into it. Um, that's just not the model that most people operate on, in my opinion. Um, most people are quite happy. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this. It's just, it's, it's just kind of a difference in like mentality and, and teach their own, right? Some people, mm -hmm. Um, like my, my, like my dad still writes checks, even though like in, like here in Hong Kong, um, you can just do it with your bank account on your phone, but he's just like, I don't know how to use my phone. So I'm just going to write people the check and he'll still like grab it, walk to the bank, sit down and say, Hey, can you cash this for me? But then he can just do it on his phone and take a photo of it. And then they'll mm -hmm. do everything for him. But he just refuses to do it just because he's so used to, he's so kind of used to doing that already. Um, and when he does those things without being, again, without being able to articulate why he believes that those things work, he just knows it works. And he, he fundamentally believes that, oh, I'm protected when I do this. And until crypto, whether it's through institutions, whether it's through governments, sort of achieves that same effect where users can use it without having to worry too much, uh, I think there's still going to be at least a few more years until we actually reach like true mass adoption where everyone you know has a has a blockchain model on their SIM card or something. I think that mm. will still take a few more years. I have a few thoughts on CBDCs. Um, I understand what you're saying, and you know, when it comes to trust and everything, but I'm not sure if I how I feel about the central bank of a country issuing the currency directly to the users and the people. I think in certain jurisdictions, and you know, maybe like city states like Hong Kong or like Singapore or um, like, or like smaller countries, it makes sense, especially countries that may like, 
where where it's like much more of an enclosed system. But I think I'm talking about more specifically for the U.S., like where it has this like you know kind of this this, this deep dollar structure with with the Fed. You have like the Fed with like the larger banks with like the regional Fed banks that you know issue it to like the member banks that you know issue it to you know go goes down the line to the people. If when you have like a CBDC, it goes directly to the people's like sets the interest rate um and like i can i'm i mean it goes directly to people and like we can like talk all day about like certain like you know surveillance privacy like concerns about like oh they can just like shut down the like oh like we don't like what you're doing like we can just like blacklist your your shit um what i like about the stablecoin model over cbdc's that you know outside of like privacy and like surveillance and and whatnot um, it gives like it makes the dollar competitive. Like you can choose which stablecoin you want. Like, do I want Tether? Do I want USDC? Do I want Frax? Do I want Dai? Um, and I think that's like really powerful in terms of like building a better stablecoin rather than just like monopolizing with like a CBDC. And I'm not sure if like the Fed is capable of creating a CBDC. To be honest, I feel like they're researching and researching and researching, but like until I see it, like I I don't I don't believe it. I think, in, like I said, like, in like Hong Kong, you know, it's like doing experimentation there makes sense. I like, wouldn't be surprised if like if they, they're going to release something like within like a year, like two years in like other jurisdictions, Switzerland, you know, where else? Like Bahamas, like all these other other Brazil, especially um, um, there. But like in the U.S., I don't see CBDC happening. I see stablecoin regulation kind of mm-hmm. like happening and like banks in the future issuing like in like issuing their version of stablecoins on chain. There's no better buyer of US debt than stablecoins. So mm. that's, that's my thought. No, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. So um, I have a friend who works at like the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. And I'm not sure if you guys know, but in Hong Kong, the MA itself doesn't actually handle sort of the issuance of currency. It's like- Yeah, they, it's the banks, it's the yeah, banks, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, like, so there's three main banks in Hong Kong that do it. And he actually told me that um, in the process of kind of speaking to other like like uh, sovereign, sort of sort of uh, um, sovereign banks, they were actually discussing you know what model would be the best for making a central bank digital currency. And Hong Kong was like, oh, we you know we want to try this model where the MA controls everything. But then it seems like to all the other countries, they actually want to explore having the banks do it. Um, yeah, it's like yeah, not yeah. E- yeah e- even in like Hong Kong's model, there's not even like uh, no, there's not even a proto CBDC. It's literally like three, like you said, like three banks. They're basically like three stablecoins issuing the Hong Kong dollar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and I do think, like, to your point, it does make the US dollar more competitive, more competitive in a way. And I also think some things that most governments are concerned with is like sort of how fast can they make this happen, and having to hire a team, structure a team test a product, build an MVP, that takes a lot of time as opposed to just working with large providers of like this of, of this type of server, like Circle, for example, right? Yeah. Love this. And Circle like, has existing infrastructure to make their stable coin, like basically omni-chain, like right there. They have CCTP mm-hmm. in place. Um, and, and so I think it makes a lot more sense for the U.S. government to work with a few providers to make it happen. And just mm-hmm. work on the regulation part and the and, and the part where they you know have really stringent controls and they make sure that the US dollar is still competitive. Um, I think that mm-hmm. as as sort of the way forward makes a lot more sense than just going, hey, everyone shut down. You're doing this our way now. That that's just very very slow. 
and I yeah. don't think for something like for for like for a country like the U.S. It might work in Hong Kong, like you said. Maybe uh, even, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe even looking, in China, but then I think yeah. that's like a toss-up. Yeah. So I I actually think that they will offer this not because of all the current infrastructure and the benefit of everybody else. I think it's to the government's own benefit because if they were to do a CBDC and they fuck up, they can't roll it back. You know, whereas they let all these private people issue their own kind of like US dollar stable coin and then the government can then have like almost kingmaker power, which is mm-hmm. what they, they, they really care about is the ability to kingmake someone and then have that person become the incumbent that they obviously control, right? This person yeah. took on all the risk. If they fucked up, then, then they, you know, go BK and like the market kind of heals itself. So that I think it's a really great way for the government to have a bunch of bets on like whichever mm-hmm. stable coin rises to the top. And then whoever makes it to the top and like, okay, now you're the king, but then you have to listen to me. It's like the Simpsons meme of like them betting money and like the crabs or something fighting. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I think Ken makes a very good point there. It's just, um, like private sector innovation is just a lot faster and a lot more, like I guess, mm. this is better than like public sector innovation in general. Um, so yeah. just waiting for an incumbent to come out and say, hey, we, you know, I think we're the best at doing this. Like, you can work with us directly. I think the same goes for like US defense contracts as well. Like, they don't really pick, like, they, they don't do it themselves. It's like Lockheed Martin and like Raytheon. Mm. Right. right. So, Pounds here. Went, Pounds um, are, yeah. Yeah. And all those, but yeah. and. Going, like, look at the, all the innovation that's happening on chain at the speed of uh, block by block by block, at the speed of light, at the speed of bits. Uh, look at all the innovation we've had since DeFi summer over the past three years. Um, and, you know, getting into finally the end game of it all. That was a great discussion, guys. I really, this podcast is like giving me energy. We're an hour into it and I am like fully amped up. It's, <laughs> we're, it's literally 10, 15 where I am. And I am wide awake. So thank you, Winter Soldier. Uh, <laughs> thank you for having me as well. Yeah. Uh, and now we go into number six, the end game. And there you have it. A scalable, replicable liquidity engine powering Frax, as well as FPI and Fraxy. Maybe soon to be Frax BTC. <laughs> Working deterministically to uphold the four pillars, generate monetary premium and capture value for DeFi in all economic environments. To quote DeFi Nale, Frax will offer a monetary premium over the full interest rate liquidity cycle. Frax offers the full vertical on-chain liquidity stack for investors for high rate environments you have SFRAX and FXBs. And for low rate risk on environments, you have FRAXETH and SFRAXETH. I, re- you know, I remember this, when Nolly uh, dropped this message in the FRAX Telegram and everyone was like, whoa. And from reading this, this is how I like, got my all weather stablecoin kind of like spiel about FRAX. Uh, can we go into what Nolly said here? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, um, yeah. Go ahead. so he basically talks about um, sort of I think for people who aren't too familiar, um, most of the time, the way investors like allocate capital is based on like sort of like uh, based on interest rates in general. That's kind of the biggest driving factor for how people allocate the capital based on risk. And so in high interest rate environments, um, it just makes a lot more sense for people to basically look towards treasury yields as, as a ways as means of getting sort of a stable, a more stable income. And Frax has products in place to facilitate that, right? 
And when interest rates eventually taper off and go lower in the next year, two years, um, uh, investors will then look to something like say Frax ETH and Frax ETH, Frax ETH uh, as a mean as, as a way of like kind of uh, generating sort of returns for themselves. Um, and so in, in this sense, Frax basically just covers sort of the full spectrum of like the yield curve. And obviously investors don't just do, do one or the other. They, you know, they, 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 they crunch some numbers and they figure out what works best for them given their risk appetite. And they can basically handle all these and they can basically handle all these investments without leaving the Frax ecosystem. And I think that's quite powerful. I don't think any other DeFi protocol can, has this kind of um, versatility as of yet. I think it's just Frax. The versatile all-weather stablecoin for all conditions. Rain or shine, winter or summer, Frax is there. And uh, Frax will become the center of gravity for DeFi during the next bull run, drawing in retail, DAOs, institutions by issuing money, generating yield, structuring loans, and incubating other financial entities. We are witnessing the ascent of an ecosystem of composable assets and sub-protocols capable of capturing trillions of dollars of liquidity held in ultrasound, stable, and facilitated by precise progressive engineering, a intergalactic force of nature, a black hole. Entering the black hole's orbit creates friction, and with friction, galaxies are born. If you made it this far, (laughs) my heartfelt thanks to you. I spent a considerable amount of time on this piece. If you like my work, I would appreciate your support with a like. And, uh, <laughs> I'm just reading it. Very good there, Dave. I got to give it the like and retweet, guys. I got to yes. give it, got it like now, like people know that we did it during the interview. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, bravo. Let's give it a round of applause. Yeah, I think it was Thank super you. eloquent. I love your your writing, how in the beginning you obviously brought us full circle at the end, you know, you hooked us in and then you gave us a really nice closure piece. I loved seeing that. I think more people should write like that. Uh, I wish more threaders wrote the way you did. Cause it was- We need more poetry and less shillitry. <laughs> yes, um, yes, so more yeah, poetry. Yeah. But yeah, this, 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 this took quite some time. Like I have to say that like, um, because it, 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 oh, yeah. it was originally a lot longer than it currently was because I, I was going to mm-hmm. kind of... Oh, you do all the sub-protocols and all that stuff. Yeah, and all that stuff. And then I was like, I think that that, that would be like a very, very long thread. Because um, mm-hmm. I do think that Frax has, also has, has a lot of other key pieces that are in place that most people don't really... At least, it's kind of not on people's minds at the moment. Like, for example, I think... Um, and the custom term sheets will be quite powerful, especially if you think of Frax as like a central bank uh, and being able to issue and denominate debt in Frax uh, to like whitelisted protocols to institutions. And they'll be, they'll be quite powerful as well. I also believe that um, like in the future, um, once you can f- pair Frax with long tail assets, like the same way you do with like USDT and USDC, Frax will also have, a, have its. So I see like the ideal future for Frax and I do think that the team is taking very conscious steps to making it happen. So I'm quite excited just in general as a as an FXS holder and also as someone who's in DeFi because I do think that they're kind of like jack of all trades in, in the situation, um, but they're actually doing it like very, very well. 
and I don't think any other team has come close to 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 to, to the breadth and depth of what they've done. Yeah, you did an excellent job of picking what to include in your thread and what to remove from from your thread. That's a really hard art. Like you know, writing's just one thing, but being able to like cut out what's which may be like good, but it's like unnecessary in order to create something that's a you know a full like the narrative that you want to get across to your reader. Like you did that, you know, an excellent job of that. I just want to reiterate that. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, and so, what is your favorite Frax product that's coming uh, out, like coming next for release? Uh, we got okay, so yeah, S Frax was just released. Frax bonds are on the way. Um, there's also Frax ETH V2. There's BAM and there's Frax Chain. Like, have you looked into any of those at all? Like, which one are you excited for? I am quite excited for Frax bonds. Um, mm-hmm. The yield curve on chain. Yeah, yield curve on chain, but also because um, I think. I personally think like yield trading and like interest rates, interest rate trading will be quite, will be, I won't say it's like a big narrative, but I do think there'll be a really big appetite for that kind of, for that kind of um, behavior, just because now you actually have sort of on-chain yield products that weren't available before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think that there's a few protocols that are like kind of doing this, um, I think. Uh, I believe like something like Hourglass or like Timeless, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's Hourglass. Yeah, they're, they're doing something along those Correct. lines. Like, Shout yeah, out Shirley, friend of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's also there's obviously also like Pendle that's doing yield trading as well. Um, and so I think it will be quite interesting to see like Frax bonds themselves. The the product itself is something that's quite straightforward. But I think what it enables. Like once you bring that asset class entirely on chain and you can do so in a decentralized way without KYC, without sort of like, with a sort of the, all the bureaucratic things you'd have to go through typically. I think that, I think what happens after that is like something I'm quite excited about. Yeah. Like it's not even out yet. And look at all these projects that are like building like on top or like similarly on top of it. Um, I'm personally really excited for, for BAM. Have you looked into BAM at all? So I, I first actually heard about BAM on Flywheel, but I'm not sure if, but my, I'm not sure of my understanding of, I'm not sure if like, like the nature of BAM itself has changed because when I first looked into it on Flywheel, I believe it was something, it had something to do with like long tail assets and fracks, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, basically the way I understood it was like, it was similar to infinity pools where you can basically mm-hmm. kind of um, pair fracks with a long tail asset and do it in a way where it's like something like like leverage without liquidation, something like that. But I don't think it, it, it's right. it's along those lines. I, I got a a nice refresher from from the man himself a few weeks ago. So I'll, I'll do my my best explanation. So do you remember like when Bento Box was going to be a thing, or like on Sushi when they were trying to do like when okay and like Uniswap V two like you have a lot of unused liquidity, and it's just like what are we going to do with that liquidity? And Bento Box was like, oh, we're going to put it in like cost. We're going to do this and that but never really turned into anything. Um, basically what BAM, what BAM is doing is doing something with that unused liquidity. The, the key with BAM that like is the thing to get across, BAM as a lending primitive cannot accue bad debt. You can, you can, it can never accue bad debt, and that's why um, long-tail assets could be used. Uh, in BAM, you, I mean, you can do it with like ETH. You can do it with any. You can do it with like any asset, but specifically that. So how BAM works is, let's say you can like put like an ETH 
it down in as like collateral and you can take out like you know, let's say like 390 fracks at like 25% FTV. Um, when the price of ETH goes down and like more ETH fills the pool because the prices of ETH is going down and you're nearing liquidation levels are like at liquidation. But since all the information is in the pool itself, like it will automatically like liquidate you first before like any other like trades are made from, from anything from the outside. So BAM has no oracles, it's oracleless, and mm-hmm. it cannot accrue bad debt. And, and uh, conversely, like if it's going like the other way around, um, it will like, you know, buy up ETH, um, you know, to like re-collateralize. So, um, you know, the team is really excited about this. This is going to be launching on Fraxchain when Fraxchain launches. And I think like it has the potential to be like the like, I think it'll like really set the tone for Fraxchain in the same way that Frentech set the tone for base. Mm, so, so in yeah. a way, it's kind of like uh, Llama from Curve US. Yes, yes, then, it is. And, yes, and, and, and so mm. the value, and so the LP position itself, basically, um, like the asset composition of the LP changes based on like the, exactly. The, the it's it's exactly like Llama. Okay, got it. Yeah, but okay. ex- I would say Llama is a a bit more capital efficient because it can accrue like bad debt, but like BAM was designed so it won't. Uh, like here, any bad debt, and that's why when you see people that's just saying like, "Bam's gonna get us to like, you know, like it's gonna raise the CR to 100 percent," like that's why because it can't cure like bad debt. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So that is that is the bam, bam, bam. Um, and then of course, fraction coming out. That's all all exciting stuff. Kit, what are you excited for coming up? <laughs> um, so I tried to move some things around like last night when ETH was at. You know, when um, Gui was at like 230 Gui for the fast, <laughs> yeah. and then base Gui was like 150, and I was like, I was obviously trying to move some, some of my frack stuff, but I was like, I just want to be able to move it and not pay like $500 for a withdrawal for or, real, a for real. or something. Like, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for us to have our own isolated, I can't wait to, execution can't wait to manage my finance in like a more controlled, executed environment. Right. I, I see Frax as like the financial district on Ethereum. Once Frax chain kind of comes on and it lives within that district and nothing outside is going to affect us and we can still use our finances when things are going ballistic everywhere else. I think that is what I'm excited for. Yeah. And I'm going to have one more question before we uh, close us an interview. Um, so Winter Soldier. What is your ultimate bull case for Frax? We want to hear like the world domination scenario of Frax. And inversely, what are like some risk and precautions and, you know, everything like that should be thought of and taken into account along that way to world domination? I think the, like, the world domination case for Frax, I think it's quite similar to like what can't mention it's just everything you do is like frax related so uh if you want lst all i see is frax yeah yeah, if you you want to trade long-tail assets if you want access to treasury yields um all of this or if you want like if you want access to like um to like an inflation plug stablecoin for example you basically do it through frax um and i think i think this more has to do with just like Frax's positioning is like the, like supposedly the central bank of DeFi, where um, if you're a retail user, you 
you trade slash invest in FRAX denominated currency. If you're a DAO or an institution, you can approach FRAX for loans. You can um, use basically term sheets to structure something, and then maybe, maybe those term sheets can be used to, as, as a sort of collateral for some other debt as well in the future, right? Um, um, kind of like like uh, the way I see it is kind of like like mortgages almost, where you, <clears throat> or like um, what are those called? Oh, like uh, like mortgage-backed securities, kind of where like you basically buying or or like purchasing sort of frax nominated debt from these other DAOs who are looking to they're looking for liquidity, something like that, right? Like frax could facilitate that in the future, um, and so yeah, I think it's just to it's basically what I kind of outlined in the thread where basically. Um, you hold Frax because it's stable, but it also gives you access to just so many things on chain that it almost becomes like a no-brainer to hold it. Like it, it's kind of like, oh, I don't like I can have USDT and I can have it on my MMO. I think I think that's fine and dandy, but if I hold Frax, I can do so much more with it, and it almost kind of um, it's a very compelling. You have a lot of compelling reasons to basically. Diversify stablecoin holdings because swapping of USDT to Frax also has has a cost, right? And so I think Frax is taking very very conscious steps to making sure that um, like there's a high demand for their stablecoins. And I think um, sort of the four pillars that I mentioned in the thread, um, I think those are very much like real and they they they're running. But then I think when it gets to a point where you know BAM is a thing, um, when uh, Frax v Frax v two is a thing. I think we'll actually, we'll actually, and then Frax has its own app chain. I think we'll actually see, oh, by the way, like we have a very fully functioning self-sustaining ecosystem on ETH and it's quite inclusive as well. So anyone can just show up and join. It's not, it doesn't have any mechanisms that kind of precludes late, late comers or makes it, makes the rewards disproportionately favor like early new joiners, even though, you know, there is some sort of like, <clears throat> there is some sort of like, um, uh, benefits being early um so yeah i think that's kind of like the in my head like everything is in frax everything everything you use is like frax so kind of like I, I kind of i kind of say one of like apple where if you use an apple product you're just kind of gradually sucked into the ecosystem mm -hmm. if you have an iphone you're gonna like you're probably get apple music mac. Like yeah. you get a mac and that's why you're like you know what i'm gonna get a tv as well and then you just kind of get and then when you by the time you look you're like oh crap i actually have you know a lot of apple products but then you're quite happy because um the quality of what you use is actually quite high and it you know gets you places that you want and makes helps you do things you want to do. So yeah. Um on the flip side for things to look out for, um I still think to so like censorship and like regulations are still are still a risk just because there's no one has any idea how all this is gonna work. Um and I do think that Frax's sort of status as a reserve stablecoin quite Heavily depends on being able to be, uh, on having RW uh, like real world assets to back it, whether it's you know repos um, and, and other assets as well. I think it's possible for them to diversify to sort of non cash assets in the future, but I think um, getting there would take a lot of research and time. Uh, but I am quite optimistic as well. So yeah, I think those are kind of the two main yeah. things. And so you know, Frax's utility ultimately both in yield and then its use and also like products to be created in the future will in and by itself cre increase its monetary premium and you'll just want to hold frax 
because hey, like it's I really like that Apple comparison. That's the first time I, I heard that. I'm gonna use that for now on. So it'll be like the Apple of currency. Um, I actually have one more question, and then we can move on to the lightning round. Uh, since I know you're based out in Hong Kong, what is the Frax community like in Hong Kong and Asia, and what could Frax do to expand its influence there? Um, Frax, I wouldn't say it's as big as like what it is in the U.S. Like I know, I know, like I think, like I, I've I've heard of people from Frax who work in Asia, like Kevin and I think Andy. Like I've heard of them before. Shout out Kevin and Andy. Yeah, yeah. I've heard also of them friends. Before. Also yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. Just, just just from my colleagues at Hailstone. Um, but I, I don't think it's it's as widespread as some of the other protocols that have that quite heavily sort of focus on community building. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in some strange way, I would honestly say that a lot of those users would actually benefit from the products that Frax has to offer, as opposed to just, you know, buying the governance token of some decks on some random chain. Like, mm-hmm. I think the use case, like the use case for holding something from Frax, just, it's just a lot, it's just a lot stronger than, than like a random DEX token. Um, in terms of how you can increase presence in Asia, I think I'm going to use the Apple analogy again, because I think it's like a, I think it's just a really, really good way of like kind of indo- quote unquote indoctrinating users um, in, into Frax. Um, I really think it just starts with something simple. Like I think obviously right now it's possible that we have like a, that, that you know, that the next four run has kind of somewhat started. And so there's going to be a lot more renewed interest into, hey, what can I do on chain with my funds, right? And I think what, right now rates are still kind of high and telling someone, hey, you can actually earn tre- U.S. Treasury yields through a, through a specific protocol with very good, with like little to no smart contract risk, with a very good team and with a very strong ecosystem of other products that you can potentially explore. I think that's a really good angle. Uh, and, and then the rest of it really boils down to just sort of, um, I guess, f- finding a few key community members in specific countries to kind of help you like champion cracks. I think that's a really, that in my experience has been a quite a good model. Um, I know that maker has something similar where they have, they have communities in Japan and China. They're quite, quite strongly kind of advocating for maker. I think curve has something similar too with, um, with some of their Chinese based community members. And so I think having those and having, and using them as like a conduit for, onboarding new users to tracks will be quite quite good. Yeah. yeah. Even to that, um, you know, this has been quite the episode. Um, I didn't think I could get more bullish, but I am. Um, Winter Soldier, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to, uh, you know, start with the lightning questions now. Uh, Kim, yeah. uh, and take it away. We just keep it short, uh, Winter. Just just hit us with like you know, first thing that comes to your mind. What was your virgin crypto experience? When did you first touch the blockchain? And sex doesn't count. Buying an NFT. <laughs> There's some sex. alternative universe where Winter Soldier is like an NFT, like just like influenza. Don. Yeah, an <laughs> NFT influenza, like shilling whitelist, like I can't. <laughs> NF- <laughs> Yeah. Summer, soldier. That's summer, soldier. Soldier. That's summer soldier. That's summer soldier. That's summer soldier. Yeah. New yeah. handle. All right. Second question. What is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity, hobbies, and interests? Uh, I hike and trail run. Yeah, I think that's right. the best way. Touch grass. Touch grass. 
Look at the sky. Yeah, I'm touch grass. Uh, don't check your phone. Um, you're, 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 like you're, you, you feel your heart pumping in your head. I think that's like makes you feel quite alive, at least for me it does. Hmm. What would be some advice to your younger self? Um, I just, hmm. Like, don't worry too much. There's always like the next thing for you to do. There's, yeah. there's always the next thing. Yeah. And then if you weren't in finance, tech, or crypto, what would your financial, I mean, what would your career path be? Um, I would probably be DJing full time and like producing music. I think that's, that's, yeah. Um, cause I, I'm, I'm a big, like, I'm a big, like raver. I used to go to, <laughs> I used to go to quite a bit of raves in the U S I still I go to quite a bit of raves in the U S <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. Um, I, I was actually just back like, uh, this past May for EDC. Um, oh, I was there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I picked up DJing as a hobby in the college and I just kind of stuck with it. Oh, me too. Well, I didn't pick up in college, but I like just, I picked it up like right before COVID. Yeah. So, <laughs> so probably DJing. Uh, what do I you mean, DJ? What's your genre of choice? Well, to DJ and to go to shows with? Um, it really depends. I, like I have, like I've done it for, for a while, so I can pretty much mix most genres, like, you know, top 40, hip hop, house, techno, um, like, like, like drum and bass, dubstep, future bass, like basically all of it. We got um, a man of all trades here. Yeah. yeah. Oh. What are your views on dubstep? I think having listened to it since when I was like a lot younger, I think, um, it's outlived its popularity, I would say right now. I, I, think, I disagree. <laughs> yeah. Cause like I, I, like I went back to like an excision set and I was just like, Oh, I I'd see. I'd, it's like, I'm not as mm, oh, it's, it's something I haven't seen before. Yeah. And I was just like, mm, like, this is good, but it's like, Hey, like I'm just kind of listening to old songs that I used to listen to when I was young. You, you gotta listen to EPROM. You gotta listen to G Jones. You gotta listen to all the new rhythm guys, but I'm getting like off topic. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta listen Lightning to around, guys. Come on. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm, all right. All right. We're wrapping up. We got, we're wrapping up. Okay. Um, who would you recommend as a guest of the show? Who you recommend as a guest of the show? Um, I spoke to, oh, I think Emperor, Emperor Osmo. I think he's quite Emperor knowledgeable. Osmo. Okay. Emperor Osmo. My flow's like Osmo on Twitter. I think he's, he's very knowledgeable. Um, I, okay. I spoke to him for maybe like, like, like half an hour-ish two weeks ago. And uh, from what I can gather, he's, he's, he's um, I like the, I really like the way he kind of thinks and like answers questions. Yeah. Emperor Osmo. Got it. Flows like Osmo on Twitter. Nice. Um, all right. Wrapping up this legendary episode right on the eve of the bowl. We have Winter Soldier. It's finally spring and Winter Soldier's coming out. And he's coming out with a bang. Winter Soldier, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Post game. Guys. Post game. Post game. We had okay. some time to reflect on this one because, not going to lie, it was a lot to take in in the best way possible. But that pod got me amped up. I enjoyed reading that. Uh, you know, Winter Soldier is such a poet. He's like Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in the yellow wood. 
and he took the <laughs> took the road less traveled and became not just any threader, but a poet poetic threader, a researcher, space researcher, yeah, black yeah. hole connoisseur, yeah, a scientist. <laughs> yeah. So first thing I thought it was funny he got rugged like twenty to thirty times. In first <laughs> In NFTs, nonetheless, yes, it's probably the, like the, yeah, t- the, st- the typical the story retail arc. experience. You know, yeah, like the story arc of like I'm just like, is it like after like the, like the fifth time, tenth time, fifteenth time? But it's like he was right. It's like you're gonna have like one of them hit that like makes all your money back and then some. Yeah, yeah. worth it. <laughs> Uh, but it's great to see the time and effort that he put into these posts. Uh, I know mm-hmm. that they're extremely well-written. Um, before we talk about it, though, uh, as Winter Soldier coming from the Marvel Universe, what kind of, what's your superheroes that you guys would be? What would be my superhero? Yeah, no, like what, what, who would you be as a superhero? Um, that's a good question. I like uh, Iron Man. Um, he's just super smart uh, and super wealthy. <laughs> I could achieve that, but is Doctor Strange love the time travel guy? Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange. Yeah, Doctor Strange. Oh yeah, I'm Doctor Strange. I'm going back and forth in time. I can see that. I can see that. I can see that. How about you, yeah. Sam? Uh, I mix because you know I think like being like. I think being something like a, a Spider-Man would be pretty cool. You can just like hang out, fly through the city. You know, you're, you're like a normal literally person. Hang out. Literally yeah, hang, like, literally hang out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would just like to be uh, a wizard, to be honest. Just like <laughs> I on my like nook by the pond. <laughs> you're one buff-ass wizard, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have my staff. I'll have my cave. I'll just be like, you know vibing wandering through the forest you know looking for herbs you know whatnot <laughs> uh and continuing on the marvel route i i liked his analogy of uh finra's pbc being like the final stone in thanos's glove <laughs> i think that was my analogy was it no i, th- I thought it was uh, him that did it oh Maybe it was him. Sorry. Maybe it was it was somebody. But somebody somebody you used both this analogy. Poets. It's okay. I am <laughs> yeah. a poet. Somebody used this analogy that like Fenris was like the final stone in in uh, in the Thanos' glove, which I thought was pretty cool. I also liked yeah. how, um, uh, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, like all in all, it was a really nice. It was a really nice interview. I think that he did a uh, a great job in his research and the the way that you read through the um, the tweets was really great as well too dave i had a lot of fun reading those tweets yeah it made me quite animated <laughs> yeah so it's um you know it, 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 i thought it was interesting to hear him talk about like the whole uh like curve convex side of things about how it's like harder for new projects to get involved with curve but you know like when mm. with i don't i don't know i don't think i don't particularly agree with that because like I think if you wanted to acquire CRV here or Convex here, the prices are at where it are where they were in like September of 2021. Like we're pretty much like all the way back. Uh, so if there was this demand to um, 
for a project to get into the curve wars, like now's a great time to do it because prices are so depressed. You're not buying curve at like curve or convex at like six bucks per CRV or convex at, I don't know, what was it like 40 or something? No excuses. No excuses. So like now is the time. Protocols out there have no excuses to to get involved. And this is what we're seeing. I mean, introduction of Prisma. Prisma will be getting involved with the Curve Wars and uh, like a bunch of other F of of X protocol. mm -hmm. You saw Reserve too. Like they were T-whopping and DCing into... They bought their whole CRF. Yeah, they bought their their entire CVX bag. They didn't complain. They were just like, yeah, we have our strategy. We're going to buy CVX and we're going to vote for our stable coins. Yeah. Well, I I think what what Winter Soldier may be alluding to is that like those who did it early has a massive, massive head start. Like they're initial crv beget or begot more crv which you know kind of like spirals them into this kind of behemoth which is kind of what frax did yeah. right but the good thing about frax is though like frax is willing to share that right as long as you pair it with frax bp and that's the meta pool kind of whole system so yeah <clears throat> yeah i think frax has done a good job of you know we've been able to grow but uh, you know, there's there's space for other protocols to come in. I think that they understand that is that like Frax can't be the only player in the in this in the curve ecosystem. There has to be other participants. You need a a like the more the more diversified uh, CRV holdings are, and the less whales that you have in the curve ecosystem, uh, the stronger the system is, and the more robust the wards are going to be. So like if if Frax owned 30% of all curve or something like that, it, it would be detrimental to the ecosystem as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, kind of similar to uh, LSTs, don't you think? Like, oh, if somebody owns like too much, is it detrimental? Too much of the market share? Please yeah. self <laughs> limit. Please, please, bro. Just self limit, bro. Please, please. Self limit. <laughs> Uh, I did like I did like his analogy how like frax based pools like rice right you just mix it with everything like it goes a little bit oh, here yeah. you mix with frax you mix you mix it with the frax based pool this new token over here you just mix it with the frax based pool this token over here oh what well, let's put it with the frax based pool it's something you just like mix in with everything oh but he he did say this one thing though uh, about that it's like when you know uh, uh, frax is like fully clarized by real world assets like what if we just retire frax based pool because well, we don't need USDC anymore, right? So why don't mm. we just be that pair for the people? Um, I, th- I thought that was so bullish. Like he he was more bullish than I was and I am. So I was like, it was so refreshing <laughs> to hear. <laughs> like, please, like red pill me on Frax. <laughs> yeah. It's always yep. interesting hearing other perspectives from, you know, people that are interested in the ecosystem that are passionate um, whether it was like Winter Soldier, DeFi Cheetah, um, Crypto Vester, um, you know, their genuine interest and curiosity, you know, that drives them to learn and then drives them to come with their own conclusions and their own ways of explaining things. It adds so much to the ecosystem. It creates this positive flywheel shot, pun intended, <laughs> shot, uh, you know, to keep everything spinning and to keep growing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I it's like great. Great. Red pilled. Yeah, <laughs> it's great to think of Frax as like the next circle or the next tether, uh, and that you know we've built everything on chain first, and then can transition into being a like uh, maybe there's maybe there's something that the uh, Finres sets up later on to create like a Frax USD or something. So sick. FRX USD. 
Exactly. Yeah. We definitely need the word USD in the yeah. name, like and and when that happens, you know where we'll be. You know where you'll find it first. To make sure you get it first, make sure you go hit that bell button right now. You subscribe. Do it right now. Don't forget. And then leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Love us, hate us, what we can improve on. We welcome all feedback. Uh, make sure you give us a like and uh, make sure you follow us on all socials at Flywheel DeFi on Twitter, Telegram, and TikTok. I don't know. I just love saying TikTok like that. I just think it's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. Make sure you go to our website, subscribe, flywheeldefi.com. Go do that right now. And then you can follow yours truly on your my Twitter at DeFiDave22. Follow me at 0x capital underscore K. Oh, yeah. And I'm at traders underscore inside. <laughs> and we'll see you next week with Dolomite. Peace. <laughs> Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not in investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.